Hello and welcome to the ASB Investment Podcast, a show that keeps you up to date on the markets and helps you make smart choices with your investments. I'm Chris Tennant-Brown and I'll be in the driver's seat today, joined by fellow ASB economist Mike Jones. We'll look back on some of the challenges and surprises of the year that's been and chat about what we expect to see in 2021. These are entirely our own views. It's not investment advice, but we know plenty of experts at ASB who will be happy to chat if you need. Hey, Mike, well, first time in the booth for you. I've been in here plenty of times, but it's a first for you. What do you think? I feel a bit like a like a star, like I just said to you, CDB. We're about to record a duet or something. So I'm, I'm just getting used to it, so I might have to just sort of warm up as I go. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've always feel like I made some bad career choices. Being an economist is pretty boring compared to being a rock and roll star. And yeah. uh, coming to the booth always reminds me when I see all the cool guitars and David Bowie <laughs> posters and things. Yeah, I wish I was more talented. Yeah, uh, but, you know... We can only uh, we can only wish that we got better gifts than being good at maths and useless at uh, pretty much everything else. Hey, well, um, for a bit of background for everyone, um, I'm the uh, the senior economist at uh, at ASB, um, and uh, Mike uh, shares exactly the same job title, but has quite a different focus. I'm I'm stuck in the world of thinking about investments, and uh, and you think about quite a range of different things. So. Um, you know, ranging ranging from houses, which is probably going to be pretty interesting for people to talk about, but also you've got a massive background in um, working in, in treasury and um, and and working at the RBNZ as well. So um, there's plenty of stuff that I'm going to be uh, asking you for some insights on now that I'm in the driver's seat and uh, doing the interviewing. So um, hey, well let's uh, let's start off with um, the impossible to avoid reflection on 2020 and, yeah. and and how your how your holiday was. What did you think when you were um, having a break from it all over uh, over the holidays? It was nice to have a break. Yeah, uh, and and I, I guess it's the same for a lot of people. gave you gave you a bit of a chance to reflect. Um, certainly, you know, some gratitude to be in New Zealand and be able to share a beautiful beach with a whole lot of people that were just having a great time. And so. Uh, you know, I guess it was uh, reflecting back on the choices that uh, I made and, the, and obviously the, the country and the leadership made around how to cope with COVID and certainly at the end of the year they felt like the right choices because we were able to sit at the beach and uh, and get sunburnt while uh, some parts of the world were in the middle of winter uh, locked in their houses. So so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I thought the same. You know, there's all sorts of experts and opinions and um, and uh, about what we should and shouldn't do over the course of the year. But when you're sitting around watching uh, watching some cricket and enjoying mm. freedom in the summer, it, it, I sat to pinch myself sometimes to think well, life here is, uh, is, is pretty normal these days. Yeah, I tried to stay away from the news, but um, it only took a five-minute look at, at an app, you know, the FT or the New York Times or something, and um, you certainly got that sense of perspective on how we were tracking in New Zealand relative to, to elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, hey, um, over the uh, over the course of the year, it certainly panned out pretty uh, differently to what we imagined at, at times. And, and I remember back in... Um, March, when all this was uh, starting to um, fire up and get pretty scary for everyone, you were in the in the thick of buying a house about that time, weren't you? Yeah, that wasn't a very nice time actually. So I can certainly empathise with people that are trying to buy a house at the at the moment, where probably conditions are even tougher for for a buyer. Um, you know, I often think economists spend you know lots of time uh, telling people 
um, you know, how to think about things and putting forecasts out there, but they're often not very good at um, making great decisions themselves. And I certainly thought I was one of those when I bought a house, um, you know, about two days before we went into lockdown and everyone started forecasting big house price declines, including myself, um, strangely enough. So, uh, yeah, certainly a few weeks of uh, cold sweats and, and uh, no sleep, but um, got through it. So, and, and, and uh, things are strangely enough. Um, at least in the housing front, looking you know pretty pretty perky at the moment. Yeah, it's pretty weird to look back and think. Um, at the, in, in March, you'd be going, "Is this a bad decision?" In April, you're probably going, "This is a terrible decision." And and then uh, nine months later, uh, thank goodness I made that decision because it's uh, it's, it's got so much tighter. And, and house prices are just one of those things that. Uh, and in the housing market, that just was surprising how it panned out and how quickly things um, turned around. Um, and and hey, it's your job to forecast uh, these uh, these things. So how did your thinking sort of change over the course of the year about about what would happen with with the property market and house prices? Yeah, you're right, CDB. I mean, if you think about the the story for the Kiwi economy last year, I think you know. Well, there's perhaps two big ones. One was that we escaped. Um, uh, lockdown and, and COVID uh, relatively well. We, we sort of skirted um, a potentially disastrous scenario. And, and the other one was was the sheer phenomenal strength in the housing market. And, um, you know, no one really expected that. We, we sort of had a 6% decline in house prices um, forecast around about lockdown. And, and that looked pretty grim, but that was actually one of the, the least pessimistic forecast out there and here we are I think instead of a 6% decline for, for the middle of this year we're looking more like a 15 or 20% increase so uh, it's hard to actually imagine a time when economists got something kind of more wrong in that, in that sense so you naturally sort of think about well you know what didn't we see or, or you know what's going on um, and, and yeah the thing that stand out for me there's probably a few one is um we no no one really anticipated, and I'm certainly mean no one uh, that the resilience of of Kiwi's spending habits. So economists kind of thought, well, you know, we're going into lockdown. We don't know what the world's going to look like in a few months. People are going to lose their jobs. Um, probably Kiwis will just hunker down, pull their horns in, and save a bit of cash. But we did that for about two months. We weren't actually allowed to spend, really, if you think about it. And then we came out the other side, and the wallets just flew open. We bought everything we could, we could find, including houses. Um, and so that was one thing I don't think people really understood. And um, we certainly haven't seen anything like it before, if you think about recessions. I mean, this is the biggest recession we ever had. It's the biggest recession in New Zealand history, and yet people behaved quite a lot differently. Um, and I guess you can, you can rationalise that in hindsight, because it was quite a different... Recession, so that's one thing I think we 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 underappreciated. And the other one, um, the other one is is the housing shortage in New Zealand. Um, we knew there was one. I mean, everyone knew there was one. Everyone's got an estimate of how big it is, but I think it was just that much worse than than we thought um, pre-COVID. And so when we went through um, you know twenty twenty, and we got a bit of demand stimulation from low interest rates and other bits and pieces of support. 
that inflamed the demand side, but supply was just so low that all that happened was was you got this big boost, big boost going through to to prices. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the other things that I uh, I know you pull your hair out of is um, is keeping an eye on on the population, courtesy of of, of migration, and um, yeah, and that's just that's just been all over the place over the last year or two. So really hard to to pinpoint actually mm. how much is the population growing by because those those stats have just changed so much. That's must have added to the complication of working out how how short is this housing market of supply yeah i mean that was it you're exactly right that was another head scratcher so the, the you know population growth more or less stopped overnight one day and so a bunch of economists that thought well you know that's less people in the country that's less demand for houses surely that's a negative um which i guess it, it is but again the, the thing we didn't appreciate was you know uh, expats coming back to new zealand from offshore just bought on a uh, sorry we just went on a on a spending spree for houses um, in the sorts of tiers that owner occupiers tend to tend to like um, and so there's an extra source of demand even though the the uh, the number of people coming into the country was was less um, you know you saw you saw expats come in with a bit of cash that spe- spent a few years in London or New York earning some nice foreign currency and, and they came back and, and needed a place for their families and that just added to that that mix and again that's not something people people kind of expected. Yeah and hard to forecast or quantify until after the event um, when you've got a bunch of people leaving and a bunch of people arriving but uh, the people leaving weren't homeowners but the people arriving potentially want to be so just a, a, an incredibly new uh, mix of of conditions and uh, in my world um, again you know thinking had to change with in, with investment returns I've, I've learned over the years that don't try and don't try and time bottoms because markets will will turn around when they want to turn around it won't be when flags get waved and all the clouds are, are clear but the pace which markets turned around was was staggering and and for me the the other ingredient there was the pace which things changed from a monetary policy perspective and a uh, and a government perspective now back in the global financial crisis some of the stuff that we did within weeks this time around took took months or, or years to uh, to get going um, in previous recessions and 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 that adds to the mix as well now you worked in the Reserve Bank what do you think it would have been like at, at a time like uh, like this when when things were happening so fast oh, I was thankful not to be there put it put it that way um, you know you've got a certain amount of uh, obviously a responsibility on your shoulders. The Reserve Bank looks after the financial system, looks after monetary policy and financial stability, and and all of that stuff was kind of thrown up in the WAP there. I mean, we were watching, I can remember you and I looking at screens in March, and things were moving around, you know, at a similar sort of pace, or even more than what we saw in the GFC. Um, and so people panicked. Equities were down. I'd come in each morning. Equities were bent down another eight percent. Government bond markets were going crazy. Um, so I guess you know the Reserve Bank. Their challenge is to kind of keep a level head. They want to make sure they've got all the right information and act appropriate. But at the same time, they had to act really fast. You know, there was no there was no scope for for mucking around because because things are really going crazy. So, um, look, I don't think they got everything right. They've sort of said that, but but overall, um, if you look back, I think you know part of the fact that New Zealand's come through this reasonably well, albeit we've got some challenges in some areas, is down to some some of those actions the Reserve Bank took. Um, yeah. When when um when when I started out doing this job and 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 probably the same sort of time you were uh, uh, in the Reserve Bank, life was a little bit simpler in the sense that all we expected was 
hey, well, here's how the economy's going, here's what it means for the outlook, and uh, and here's what the official cash rate setting uh, should be and, and, and will be. And now we've got all of these moving parts this year. How do you sort of prioritise them when you're, when you're thinking about what the um, Reserve Bank's going to do? And I guess if we start to turn towards 2021, if the economy keeps going well, when do you think they might stop doing some of these things? And, and, and there might be some other bits like um, lending restrictions that they just want to tweak and change over the course of the year. What's your sort of thoughts about the outlook for um, for mm-hmm. all things Reserve Bank and the various levers they've got this year? Yeah, well, as you say, more levers and more complexity, right? It used to be just just uh, moving the official cash rate up and down, depending on what was going on. Uh, and now they've got, I guess, relative to when I was there, they've got the, they've got to look at the labour market a bit more closely. They don't just have a inflation objective. They've got the labour market to worry about. And uh, you know, increasingly, they've got house prices to worry about. Not not perhaps formally, but the government's asked them to have a pretty good look at you know what, if anything, they can do about house prices. And so some of the, those objectives are moving in kind of the opposite directions. And so what do you do? Yeah, you'd want to hike rates or do something to tighten things up to slow the housing market yeah. down. But that's not going to help with your inflation or let alone your labour market. Um, that's outlook. right. Yeah, and you can't set different interest rates for different sectors, right? Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a tough balancing act. You know, we are probably at risk of asking a little bit much from the, from the central bank. Um, but look, to answer your original question, the, the money question, I think you know the Reserve Bank's probably stimulated the economy enough. Um, so so the, you know there was obviously talk about negative interest rates, which we can talk a lot about if we're forced to. <laughs> We've talked a lot about it last year. It was yeah. It was a it was a real thorny issue that we had to tackle. But no, I think yeah you know, the tide's gone out a bit on negative interest rates, both you know whether or not they're a good idea, and also you know do we even need them? It'd be nice not to, wouldn't it? Make it life a nice. lot simpler for everyone to not have that as a uh, as an issue to to deal with. Even though we as banks had to get ready for it. Um, yeah. at the end of last year, but to not have to do it would be preferable, I've always thought. Yeah, we all had to get ready for it, get our heads around what it might mean and whether or not we, we thought it was a good idea. But I guess the best case scenario for everyone is that we don't have to go there, right, because the economy doesn't need it. So that's kind of the scenario we're looking at. Um, I, I kind of think the scenario is a, a long time with the official cash rate where it is. But the bank, I think this is going to be a year of, of alternative tools, both from... The Reserve Bank and maybe even the government. So you, you've kind of got an economy that's, you know, it passed the worst, but still a bit pretty fragile, licking wounds in certain sectors, undoubtedly. But you've got the housing boom, right, which something has to give and, and we need to take some action on. Um, if you ask, you know, various sectors and, and parts of the government. And so the Reserve Bank will probably look at something to, to target house prices, and the government's obviously. Uh, signal they're going to take some action or, or, or introduce something new in the end of February as well. So that's I think that's kind of probably going to be the big things for this year. Hopefully don't, we don't go back to the uh, the negative rates debate. Yeah, I, 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 when people ask me about mortgage rates, which is one of the things I have to forecast. I was just going to ask you about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I always hope that um, actually this is as low as they get and, and the next conversation will be about them going up. Not because I want to pay a higher mortgage rate, but I'd, I'd kind of like to think that over the course of the next two or three years, the economy returns to normal and, and we no longer need emergency settings, so, so rates get a little bit higher on the back of that. But it doesn't seem 
seem like something that's going to happen while there's so much un- uncertainty. And mm. then we've got that other complexity um, and another tool that the Reserve Bank uh, brought in last year, which is this funding facility. But that doesn't seem to have been having a big impact on the on the stuff I I look at yet. And um, what's your thoughts on on that funding facility and whether or not it'll be another thing which which keeps rates low over the course of the year? Yeah, so the, the funding for lending scheme, yeah, I think that's already starting to drag rates lower. I mean, it hasn't had a big take-up yet, but we always said it was going to be a bit of a slow burn. Banks will um, will rotate a bit of funding onto that as it, as it falls due and as it becomes available. So we've seen a little bit of that so far, and, and um, as you would have seen, you know, some big cuts to to mortgage rates already this year. So I think it is having an impact. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of mortgage rates, what, what are you, what are your thoughts there, CDB? You're, you're in chat. That's your sort that's, of uh, department. I, I can throw yeah. the uh, spotlight back onto you yeah, on well, that front. I, this isn't the first time I've said that they must be near as low as they can <laughs> get. Um, and, and yet they keep getting lower. You you get a something like a, a two two point two nine percent mortgage, the lowest that's ever been offered in in New Zealand. And then the question that we discuss is not, hey, should I lock and load that in? The lowest ever sounds pretty good. It's, do you think they'll get a little bit lower? <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a pretty simple guy. I, I always start by just looking around the world and going, well, what's happening in other countries like Aussie or the UK where they've got a similar sort of framework? To, to to us and and they did get a bit lower there you could get a, a sub two percent mortgage in Aussie and, and I've thought that's where the risk lies um, and obviously the offsetting risk to the um, mortgages going lower is, is what I was mentioning before is the, the economy just gets going better and better and better and and we get surprised that hey the Reserve Bank wants to uh, start tightening up but I think that's a story for a few years down the track and we're in some sort of point now we're near near the lows I'd still like to think that they'll go a little bit lower largely because I think you're right that funding for lending facility is slowly putting downward pressure on other things like um, like term deposits but the the economy going uh, pretty well is is an offsetting influence I thought if, when we were talking about the cash rate getting cut even further we'd definitely see lower mortgages whereas now I think they can probably just squeeze a little bit lower than where they are today and, and we've seen that over the over the last couple of weeks with the main banks uh, chipping them down from sort of two and a half to 2.29 percent maybe we'll see a little bit of jockeying over the uh, over these next few busy months for um, for for housing and um, hey it's not just um, houses that benefit from that and I guess this is a question for the for the year ahead is how do these low rates flow through to businesses um, and what are, what are the corporates that you talk to uh, out there thinking about the environment um, and and the, the year ahead what are some of the issues that they're raising. Yeah, well that that that's an interesting one, and that's sort of been changing. I mean, I'm uh, as a slight sidetrack, just looking at the labour market at the moment, as of today, actually, what what we can expect. And you know, it's only been three months, and the biggest issue facing the labour market's kind of shifted from you know, how many jobs are going to go as a result of this COVID recession uh, that used to be the big issue um, to you know the skill shortages that are, that are developing and, and businesses are, are telling us about. So um, undoubtedly, you know. Um, there's certain sectors of the economy where where there are still job losses happening, um, but at a macro level, we may be close to to the end of that 
process, which is great. Um, but the thing for business, the things that corporates are telling us, uh, both, I guess, anecdotally and in, in some of the surveys, is that they just can't get labour. They can't get the skilled labour that they need, um, and actually unskilled as well. So, um, you know, what does that mean? What does that mean for the economy? We're, we're probably uh, going to stay in this position with the borders sort of largely shut for most of the year, so you can't necessarily... Uh, source offshore workers. We're not going to have that migration coming into the country. So, you know, we're going to see a bit more wage inflation coming through um, or a bit more cost pressure for business. I mean, that's that's one that's coming up a lot. So we had this issue, I guess, that really reached fever pitch around around Christmas time, which was, um, you know, goods pressure, not being able to get enough uh, imports into the country. And that's put some supply costs push through in certain areas. Now we're looking at some, some issues with labour as well um, and some costs pushed there. So that's that's a big theme with with business. Um, you know, undoubtedly, I think the thing that um, in my in my world, when I go talk to corporates, they, they mostly say to me is, well, things are going, we can't kind of understand how well things have gone for us. We had pretty low expectations, obviously, going into a recession that everyone was telling us was going to be the worst on record. But things have kind of turned out pretty well. But there's always a sense of it can't last forever. We're kind of waiting for things to dry up a bit. So it's a real caution, I think. It's a real caution out there. And, and businesses are understandably keeping their powder pretty dry, um, You know, looking not too far ahead, being pretty reluctant to commit to big investment decisions, uh, You know, big hiring plans, because you know, we're... Let's let's be let's remember we're we're still in a position that no one would have thought would be in three months or six months ago. Yeah, some of the stuff that you're that you're talking about there, you know, there's there's some COVID related things like the uncertainty and some of these global supply chain issues and and um, migration changing. And clearly that impacts massively on the tourism and hospitality. Um, But some of those other issues are actually things that we were worried about and that corporates were telling us 12 12 months ago is that, hey, they're starting to get some constraints which are going to slow slow growth. I don't know about you, but I um, always like my forecast being right. But when you get something like the labour market going so much better than what we forecast, even though there's still some troubles. It's quite a nice forecast to get wrong, isn't it? You know, we were worrying about 10% unemployment and and here we are, it's 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 not even half that at this stage. But I saw in your forecast, you still think it'll creep up a little bit over the course of this uh, this this year. What's behind that? Yeah, well, so we're not past the, past the worst, I guess, in an unemployment rate sense. Um, what we do think is, you know, maybe that job losses as a whole uh, might be drawing to a close but we're still probably the economy as a whole probably isn't generating enough jobs for for the population growth that's still occurring right so there's still um, growth in the labor force um, and as I said you know businesses aren't necessarily hiring aggressively so labor demands quite not quite enough to keep pace with with that natural growth in the, in the labor force so that means the unemployment goes up a bit um, but yeah to, to your point we're, we're talking about an unemployment rate that could be you know five and a half percent six percent somewhere around there maybe a smidge above six um, but again yeah cast your mind back Everyone was talking about eight, nine, ten. I mean, people, some people were talking about twenty. Um, yeah. these are the numbers that are going around and, and sort of frightening people. So, so again, um, you know, that's that's a great result given where we've been. Um, but you know, no doubt we've, we've got new challenges for this year. I mean, the tourism, tourism industry is one. Um, which brings me to another point, which is, I guess, we're seeing quite a. It's quite a mixed picture, right? Um, and this is something you'll you'll be seeing as well, maybe in on the investment side, but. COVID's affected sectors of the economy really differently, and as a result, 
different regions really differently. So you're seeing um, some absolutely booming, some parts of the, the country, particularly those that are exposed to sort of rural and primary industries, some really struggling, which is obviously tourism for the most part, but also, you know, some parts of manufacturing as well, um, retail and hospo. Um, so that's that's showing up in some of the data that we look at. But, I mean, is that something that's coming through, I guess, on the investment side? I mean, how do you, I guess, yeah, first of all, how, do you, you know, how did that all pan out last year? I mean, there was um, some surprises there as well and how, yeah. how things looking for this year. Yeah, I, 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 can't, I, I reflected a lot in the... Um Early part of the year, because one of my jobs is to write up the uh, the in- investment returns for the year. So I I came straight back into the office on the on the um, after New Year's and started writing them up. And two sort of observations. One was it just seemed surreal to be wandering around, enjoying summer, watching America's Cup racing. That that freedom we talked about before, it's just amazing. But it occurred to me, wow, all of these operators would be swarming with tourists if the borders were open. And there are a lot of people looking, but nowhere near the number of people that would have been there if we had uh, tourists. So yeah. th- it sort of highlighted an area of, of, of weakness and, and you know, hospitality, stocks that are exposed to um, tourism, like in New Zealand, the airport, still reflect um, that, that massive, massive strain. But when I went back to my desk and I'm doing things like downloading the, um, the the share market returns over the full 12 month period, if you if you only checked your investment balance at the uh, at the start of each year, you'd just look at it and think, oh well, that was another reasonable year. You know, our market mm-hmm. our market was was up double digit gains. Um, everything looks good on a 12 month basis, and it just behind the details to think, wow, markets were down 30% or more during one quarter. People were talking about switching funds to preserve capital and all of that sort of stuff. And then, mm. then to go, wow, at the end of a 12-month period, you know, it's actually been a pretty decent year for, for everything from um, international shares, New Zealand shares, KiwiSaver returns. But boy, what a, uh, a hell of mm. a hell of a ride. And uh, it, it really does... Um, it really does rattle people now. When we look at the the long term returns for KiwiSaver, they've got two massive downturns in it with the global financial crisis, and then this year. But the speed that we recovered was staggering for share markets compared to the GFC, where it was really impacting returns for quite a long time because it took quite a while for markets to uh, yeah to turn around. Yeah. So what do you, what, why do you think that is? I mean, what why did we have that that sort of V shape in, in in shares that was so much more aggressive this? time than, than the GFC when everyone was sort of saying that this this was a recession that was worse. Yeah. And, it, and it was synchronised, right, as well. Like, yeah. the whole world kind of went into recession at the same time. It was GFC, everyone kind of was a bit Drilled more... into it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think um, looking over the year, the thing which staggers me is just the swiftness of the pace that, um, that central banks um, responded and governments were just prepared to throw everything at it. So I, th- I think investors, I mean, that clearly had an impact on the bond market when central mm. banks are just out there buying bonds. That, that helped portfolios. But just the swiftness of the response, I think investors made the right decision to go, companies are going to turn around. And, and the comments you're making about companies going, well, we're actually going quite well, is I think what um, investors probably thought when they looked at it in April, going, this is a 
bigger than ever mm. stimulus we're seeing, and this should help. And, and, and here we are, you know, another lesson that monetary and fiscal policy works. You know, the, the, the um, elephant in the room is that there's a huge amount of government debt associated with that remedy, but it sure did work from yeah. um, holding up employment, keeping companies supported and, and, and going. So um, We'll worry about the debt later, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, it, so, I mean, do you think it can continue? Because, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a new US president now, Mr. Biden, which I know you're, um, you, you, you follow quite closely, and he's talking about almost $2 trillion worth of US stimulus yeah. on top of the stuff he's, you know, the US has already delivered. So does that mean kind of more of the same for investment markets? Yeah, I mean, now we, we get all these, you know, wacky new theories like modern monetary theory where, you know, governments just can run deficits forever and ever. I'm not quite sure what I think of that. But in the near term, it's pretty hard to forecast a bad time for the share markets when the economy's getting so much mm. support. I'm sure over the next um, few weeks, we'll see plenty of um, horse trading like we always see with US politics until they get a final deal. But the the, the intention looks clear there. There. And the pathway, what I kind of hope is that the pathway to get this stuff through, whatever form they finally get through, is perhaps a little bit smoother. Um, where uh, in the near term, yeah. not going to be able to find uh, out what's going to happen by following uh, a, t- a Twitter account. But um, maybe we've got a more uh, stable year ahead. That's that's kind of my take on it. And I think there's a huge amount of support. And hey, one bit of news that I know is not fake news is there are people getting vaccines in the uh, in the states. Um, I called up my dad, and he got his first of two doses last last Friday. So oh, uh, that's that's a that's a big that's a big part of the outlook too. I reckon is just how smooth this roll out of the vaccine goes and how yeah, sure. and you know, a lot of that recovery in the in the share market towards the end of last year was was to me was about that just confidence that we're going to have a lot of support for economies but also we should we're we're right to be optimistic that 2021 should be a bit better than um, 2020 hey so um you know putting each other on the spot for a wrap up what's your pick to where houses will be at the end of 2021 and the cost of houses. Yeah, yeah. What what sort of number do you think house prices will go up on on average over the course of this over twenty twenty one? Sort of yeah. flat from here, five percent, another ten percent. Any any picks? Well, house prices went up, believe it or not, seventeen percent in twenty twenty. We've just learned the sort of semi official numbers have have just come out. And in fact, I had a call um, with with some uh, with some folk in Canada about the New Zealand housing market as an aside and I said that they'd gone up 17% and they called me on it. They said, no, that can't be right. And I said, no, that's that's right, yeah. 17%. And they were kind of blown away. Um, but they might be more blown away uh, at the end of this year because we actually think they'll probably go up another decent amount, probably more than double digits. We've got uh, formerly a 12% increase uh, on top of last year's pegged for, for 2021. Um and the reason is that for that is basically that you know if you look at all the drivers that that I guess caused the housing boom in last year, they're all still more or less with us. And in fact, some of them are even intensifying. So, you know, you've talked about mortgage rates; um, they fell for most of last year, and we've seen some pretty steep cuts already this year. And as you said, you know, they'll probably remain under a bit of downward pressure. Um, and and the supply demand imbalance, you know, the supply issue is is really is really critical. And supply, if anything, is is becoming even tighter than where we were 
you know, end of or middle of last year. Um, so we just haven't built enough homes, and and demand is is too strong for for the amount of supply that's that's in the market. And so if you if you look at sort of the, some of the short term indicators that we look at, they're sort of saying, well, you know, house prices could actually go up to. Well, a rate of house price inflation of 20% or 25% before we see any sort of cooling. Um, now, clearly, the fact that we were looking at a 12% increase by the end of the year means we're expecting some cooling. So there is um, some, some, a few things changing on that front. So one, the big one's probably the change in the LVRs. So investors, yeah. as we know, as we've heard, um, you know, got into the market in a, in a pretty aggressive way last year. The LVRs are coming back on. Uh, for investors, and so that will slow that part of the market. We think that that'll that'll cause things to, to, to cool down a little bit. And you know, we're going to see some of the stimulus measures that we saw, you know, last year when everything was sort of thrown at the economy. Some of those are going to start to wind down in the first part of this year. So again, that's a bit less stimulus. It'll probably find its way in, into the housing market. So there are some signs that things might might start to cool off, but. But not to the probably the, the latter part of of this year. And we are starting to see supply increase as well. Some pretty big. Uh, sort of consenting numbers coming through as well. So at some stage, um, you know, we'll, we'll see that market in, in a, a perhaps a more even state of balance. But uh, but but still plenty of pressure on the uh, on the prices in the in the in the term anyway. And I think it'll be fascinating to read. And uh, all Mike's uh, research on housing is available on our website and and really worth uh, having a look at if you're interested in it. I um I don't want to make a uh, a pick for the share market. I uh, <laughs> I I my I um, about to ask. my forecast if you'd asked me in March would have been probably about as dire as everyone was worried about. You know I found it really hard to imagine that uh, that the year would turn out to be a positive. Of one, and yet it was pretty normal. Yeah. You know, over the long run, I expect uh, you know, sort of six to ten percent from uh, from from things like shares and growth funds over the over the long term. And same as you said, there's a lot of positive uh, drivers there to support shares, just like there are to support property. I guess the thing that I'm the most confident in is that um, the return on cash in term deposits just going to remain uh, really low over the course of the year, and uh, and it's an environment that's pretty supportive for for, for growth assets but the as we learned last year the journey can be pretty wild um, and uh, and there's always plenty of risks so I just try and keep my focus on the long term and not get too freaked out when that bad news comes along and, and hopefully that's what our investors do too. Hey, so we um, we can't do a podcast without mentioning uh, Donald Trump by name. I think he <laughs> appeared in every single podcast uh, that I that I was on last year because he was just centre stage. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about that transition of of? I was going to ask if you if you still have to look at Twitter now, CDB, for uh, for your morning morning wrap ups. Have you, you sort of unsubscribed from oh. from Twitter? Are you, are you expecting you know we're going to have a, a calmer year for? For politics, I I quite like the idea that now I uh, when the share markets are down, I have to look for a company announcement that drove it rather than just go straight to Donald Trump's <laughs> Twitter feed and see what he did. But I, it feels like there's been this eerie silence. Um, you know, it, it, it was a pretty shocking uh, crescendo. Yeah, um, but uh, but an eerie silence since the the twentieth. I, I won't say I I miss it, but it is different to uh, to not be getting that constant barrage of of information about. The politics, and yeah, I just hope it means that it's a slightly smoother sailing over the year ahead. But I'm sure there'll still be some bumps. What about what about you? Yeah, well, it should, in theory, give us a slightly more, I guess, predictable investment landscape. Um, you know, Biden's a bit more of a uh, traditional operator, I suppose, is one way to 
one way to phrase it. Um, and uh, I guess positive from the perspective of, of the stimulus he's talking about unleashing on uh, you know on the economy in, in the US. I mean that's clearly boosted kind of expectations to the, to the economy and, and, and share markets. So, but you know other than that, I wouldn't want to say too much, right? It's been such a volatile few years for for politics. I mean I used to it, you know it was only five or ten years ago I was busy telling everyone that. That politics doesn't matter for markets anymore. Just look at the fundamentals. But you know, clearly, yeah, that, in the US that case, changed a bit. Yeah, in the US in particular, there's just so much, so much change. Ah, uh, well, it'll just be one of those variables we have to keep an eye on. Indeed. Hey, it's been awesome um, chatting with you, and uh, I'll definitely hope that we check back in before the end of the year. But um, we'll keep an eye on those uh, on those price gains in the houses. And, and thanks for your time for coming in today and talking about so many different things. No, thank you, Cedar It's a pleasure. Great to chat. Good stuff. Thanks for listening to the ASB Investment Podcast. If you have any thoughts on today's episode or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss on a future show, get in touch at podcasts at asb.co.nz.